You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Yeah. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Good morning, Canby Foursquare. How are you? It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are uh, excited to be here. We're excited to be together on our last weekend before summer. Uh, thank you. If you are new here, thanks for coming. If you're not new here, thank you for coming. We are, um, we, Ron, Pastor Ron and I are going to embark on a two-part series this week and next week on discipleship. We're going to be speaking uh, on today on the marks of a disciple, and next week Ron will be uh, up speaking on discipleship as well. So what that actually means is that Ron had me go first, and if you don't like this week, you got next week. Ron will fix everything. We are going to look at this, uh, this word disciple and the marks of a disciple. When we think about discipleship, sometimes that, that word can be assumed. It can just, yeah, we're, we're Christians, so we're disciples. It can be a word, yeah, that's what the Great Commission told us to do. Go and make disciples. But we want to look at what does it actually mean to make disciples. If you spend some time around Canby Foursquare... And I've been here for about six weeks now. If you are in a meeting, if you're walking down the hall, if you're just talking and having casual conversations, there is this drumbeat, there is this mantra that's spoken, it can be. And it is, we are disciples here to make disciples. Everywhere you go, we, why do we exist? Why are we having this meeting? We're disciples to make disciples. Why do we have a coffee bar? Why do we have a service? Why do we have anything that's happening in this place? We exist, it can be, we are disciples making disciples. That is the great commission. That is what Jesus charged his disciples to go and to do, to make disciples. So, with the word so important, I thought today we should define it. What does it look like? Who are we? And what are we actually making? What does it look like to be a disciple? Because we can, we can say, you know, Jesus, he said, you will know, they will know who I am. They will know that you belong to me by your love for one another. They will know that you are my disciples. You belong to me. We could go Galatians 5, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, If I were to ask this room, there would be hundreds of great answers of what makes a disciple. But today we want to look at something that is uh, just solid, something measurable, something out of the abstract, that we can look at our life and we could go, are we we a disciple? Are Are we actually living this out? Are we making this product? Because... Uh, a a great pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he once said, uh, and, and it runs through his whole works on discipleship, he said, you can be a Christian without being a disciple. You can be a Christian without being a disciple. Anybody can mark that on their box. Anybody can put that on their dog tags. Anybody can say, yeah, my parents are Christian. 
I'm a, I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a disciple. And we'll look at that in the life of Jesus in a few minutes. So the three marks that, that I've looked at that I believe what makes a disciple that are actually measurable, uh, we'll look at uh, for the next 20 minutes. Those marks are to follow, to worship, and to serve. The marks of a disciple are to follow, to worship, and to serve. This is as simple as I could make it. Uh, And there, again, like I said, there are many other marks of a disciple that we would distinguish a disciple. But these are the three that we will look at this morning. And the first mark of a disciple is to follow. The first mark of disciple is to follow. And what does this actually mean? Yeah, it literally means to follow. Jesus, he bids his disciples to come to him. This wasn't uh, some uh, philosophical, yeah, that's a good idea. No, they are dropping their nets, getting out of their boats, and following Christ. This was something that they actually did, that, that it disrupted their lives. That they, there was an act of obedience for them to actually leave their boats. That they actually left their high-paying corporate jobs as a tax collector. That they left behind their ministries, their families. They, they followed Jesus out of obedience. And, and, I, and one thing that we want to think about is that we can say, oh, this would be easy if you were one of the twelve, Right? Like, you see the guy. It's easy. But Jesus expected this. If we look at Mark chapter 1, that Jesus, he, when he goes and he gets his disciples, he says, come, follow me. Follow me now. Okay, we're going to spend the next three years running around, preaching, healing, teaching, doing things like that. But at the end of his life, in John chapter 21, that Jesus also says, he says to Peter, if you love me, follow me. He says to the rest of the disciples, follow me. It was expected even after the death the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension, that his disciples would keep following him. And they did. They followed him so much so, um, obedience unto death. That the, 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 the disciples, they followed Jesus. They left it all to follow Jesus. And I, and I think that this is, is a mark for us as well. And not everybody did. I actually, let's turn to Luke chapter 9 in your Bibles or your iPhones or iPads or devices. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, or you can follow along on the screen. And this is uh, a portion of Scripture in in John where Jesus is is telling uh, the crowd, people that he's walking around, people that are out in the crowd, the cost of discipleship, that this, this following of him will be costly. Let's look at what happens here. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I follow, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, uh, to another he said, Jesus said, Hey you, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, 
But let me first go to those of my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Now, in these, in these three distinct people here, we see that Jesus first says, he's walking through the crowd, and he says, hey, you, you come and you follow me. And, and, and the first guy, he's, he's more, the first guy, he's more flippant. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you, sure. But he doesn't count the, go- the cost. Jesus looks at him and he says, you don't know what you're saying. You have not rightfully considered what you are actually saying here. And the second person, Jesus actually calls. Jesus says, hey, you come and you follow me. And he has these excuses that are ceremonial and cultural. He says, yeah, I would, but, you know, I got this thing. I got to take care of my dad. I got to go back and I got to bury my, my father. And he says, and this is, at first you could say, Jesus, you're being a little harsh, man. Let him go to his, his, his family's funeral, but in tradition, that there was three stages to burial. The first stage, somebody actually dies, then actually wrapping of the body, putting it in the tomb, uh, let the body disintegrate, grab the bones, collect it, and then the third part was to actually move the bones into the family. So most likely, Jesus is saying, look, he's already dead, let the bones be there, and come follow me. And he, he uses a cultural and a and a law excuse to not follow Jesus. And then the third, Jesus says, yeah, the, the, the pastor buyer says, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus. But he wants to do it on his own terms. He wants to follow Jesus on his own terms. Yeah, I'll do it, but let me go home and make everything right. Let me uh, get my good salary. Let me get my nice house. Let me get enough money. Let me get enough cushion. And then maybe if there's some time left over, then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, and and Jesus points this out, that, that not everybody that Jesus said, come follow me, followed him. That there were a lot of excuses, but it was also an important role, distinctive to being a disciple. If I'm honest, I can relate to these guys. If I'm honest, I can relate to uh, making excuses or wanting to follow Christ on my own terms. I think back to, we, uh, if you guys uh, have been familiar with, uh, as Ron introduced us a couple weeks ago, you guys know that uh, we we. Uh, previously, we lived in Cambodia. We were missionaries in Cambodia, worked with this great organization, YWAM, and we were out there in 2009, and it was our scouting trip, and it was where my wife and I and my son, who's 11 now, was seven months old, and we went out, and we were going to scout out to see what city we would live in. And for me, this was a big step saying, okay, Jesus, we're, we're all in. We're going to follow you, okay? Whatever it takes, we'll follow you to Third world country will serve you. Well, on our trip there, our friend, uh, a good friend of mine, Garth, he was, he's the, the base director at this place at, at YWAM, and he was uh, going to take us out to dinner and then bring us back home, and we're on this scooter. And they call them motorcycles, but they're actually like a moped to us. And it's my, my buddy, Garth, he's on front, and then it's, and he's a grown man, and then there's me behind a grown man, me, a three-quarter size man, and uh, then my wife behind sitting side saddle, and then she's holding uh, our little tray, the 
the seven-month-old here. And when we're, we're driving back and we had a great evening of talking about vision, what it would look like for us to come and serve in Cambodia. And, and on our way back, we're driving down the road. It's dark out. It's a 110cc tiny little scooter. And we're driving and my buddy is going to take the turn. And right before he can make the turn, he sees it coming. We all see it happening. There's a, there's a drunk driver, three grown men on another motorcycle. They come around and we just collide, just a head-on collision. My buddy's face goes into their motorcycle instantly. Huge black eye, a bulging bump on his head. My face goes smashing into his helmet. And I remember reaching back to grab my wife. I remember thinking in the middle of the crash, grab Ash because she's holding Trey. And I reach back and I remember missing her. I remember just those, the clothes just going through my hands. I missed her. And we crash, and we spin around, and it throws her off the back. And there's my wife. There's my seven-month-old laying on the ground in Cambodia. And I go running over, and my wife's on her back, and she had held on to Trey. And I, and I grab her, and I panic because there's blood all over Trey. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do? At this time, there wasn't very good health care. And I remember just scooping Trey up, walking him back through into this house and thinking, what, what are we going to do? Wiping him down. We realized later that the blood that was on him was actually coming from me, from my nose. We couldn't find a trace of blood. But I remember in that time holding him with my wife who had just been thrown to her back, walking in and Jesus saying, do you trust me? Will you follow me? And I remember at that time going, no, I, I'm not in the mood to talk to you like this, God. And, I, and that, for, for my wife, might seem, for me, I'm like, heck no, pack up the bags, we're out of here. But my wife, she goes into spiritual warfare mode, and she goes, booyah, we're going to take you down, Satan. This is not going to happen. My wife goes full mode. This was the calling that cemented our calling to Cambodia. And for her, she just pressed in harder. And I remember that, in that time, that there were a lot of excuses in my heart to say no to following Christ. As I was preparing this message, I think back and I go, what if we would have went off of my inclination? Some of the greatest, greatest moments of my life happened. Following Christ to Cambodia was one of the greatest things that I've ever done. In fact, I could look at that calling and say that that's what called me into this season of being here with you. I look back and I have two kids that were born there. I look back at my Cambodian brothers and sisters and my friends that I met and the things that we saw the Lord do. And it was all a part of just saying, Jesus, I trust you. I'm trusting you in this calling. It's my greatest joy to follow you. The first mark of being a disciple is to follow. And the second mark of being a disciple is worship. This can seem obvious to us today. Yeah, of course, that's what we just did, Mark. We came in and we took care of worship at the beginning of the first half hour of every uh, sermon. What I mean is to worship the Lord with our whole lives, that he is our central focus, that Jesus alone is the one who we worship. If we look in John chapter 4, that Jesus, when he meets the woman at the well, that Jesus himself says that the Father is looking for true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
if he's looking for true worshipers, that must mean what? That they're actually false worshipers. That, there are, that, that the Father is searching for those who will worship him. And as we think about Israel's past, if we look at the, the, the whole Old Testament and what Israel continued to struggle with year, uh, just year in, year out, generation after generation, it was always what? False worship. Worshiping idols. Worshiping idols of the culture. Worshiping uh, the things that uh, society we say we believe in. Putting up false saviors, politicians. Putting up false saviors, leaders in the community. Idolatry was always uh, the Achilles heel to Israel. If we, if we read here in, uh, in Psalm 135, 15 through 18, it says... The idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. Friends, here at Canby, this is why it's so important for us to make sure that Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is our focus of our worship. That our idols today, they're, they're, not, they're not as obvious in, in gold and bronze and cement and wood. They're much more seductive. They're much more incognito than that. They're, they're our material possessions. They, they come in the form of our, our money. They come in the form of our schools. We have to have our kids in the best schools. We have to have our kids in the best neighborhoods. We have to have uh, this type of lifestyle. It's far more seductive than just a big bronze statue in the middle of the town. But they're equally as detrimental it's what fights for our time, day in and day out. Sundays, it's always attention. Church or football, church or football, it's, it's a fight. And, and as we think about that, maybe, maybe our idols, they do come in the form of brick and wood and stone, and we just call them stadiums. We just call them sports jerseys. We just call our idols... Uh, Let's say the Patriots, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, our idols, they creep into our life in, in, a, in a way more stealth-like mode than, than maybe perhaps we look at in the Old Testament, but they're equally as detrimental. For me, I'll be honest, just, just a couple months ago, my wife and I, I just had to spend time in repentance with her. Saying, Ash, I've made you an idol. I, I love my wife. The Lord has called me to serve my wife and to care for her. And at the same time, there's that fine line of idolatry. That fine line of putting her in a seat where she, she does not belong. And it was a great time just recently, within the last two months, of us coming before one another 
repenting before one another, and for me just saying, look, I put you in this esteemed position that you don't belong and that, and that nobody can handle. That our spouses are not our God. That our spouses are not, never ever meant to fill that position. And I just had to repent. This, this, is my, this is my idol. I gotta watch myself. God, my family, my kids. I want my kids to have a life like the Joneses. I want my kids to have, go to that school. I want to live in this particular neighborhood. What I've given you, Mark, is enough. Careful, your idols are seductive. He alone, Jesus Christ, is the only one alone that deserves our worship. This has always been a mark of a disciple. Following him and who you worship. That Christ alone is who we worship. The third mark of a disciple is to serve. Serve. The mark mark of a disciple has always been a servant. We had, uh, my wife and I had this great privilege. There was a, a couple um, back in Montana when we were at a Bible school in Montana with YWAM that we served under. There was this great woman. She's a founder of the Bible school that we worked for for over a decade. And her name's Judy Smith. And I remember her teachings. Uh, some, of, some of her teachings are the ones that I remember the most after a decade. And I remember her talking about service and being a servant. And she would always say, everyone wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Everyone wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Yeah, I want to do kids ministry. And then you deal with parents that are like, yeah, and feed my kid at this time and only organic snacks and only, you know, please tilt them to the left about a 15 degrees. And, and you, get the, you get the gif. That we are, uh, as Christians, we are called to serve. But it hurts it hurts a lot when we're treated like a servant. And I get this. Uh, when Jesus himself, think about Jesus in chapter, in chapter 13 of John. Jesus, he says to his disciples, I want you to wash one another's feet like I'm doing for you. Jesus himself stoops down to, to a low position of a servant. And he washes his feet his disciples' feet. Something lower than a servant. Something that even the servants wouldn't do. And Jesus uses this imagery of washing feet and says, you will go and do this as well. You will go and wash the feet. You will go and serve a world. You will go to the least, the last, and the lost. And you will serve the world. And you will be marked as my disciples by service. They will know that you belong to me by your love for one another, by serving one another. I think we have it up here on the slide that Jesus himself, Jesus marks his own ministry by Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, the son of man, he came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down a ransom for many. 
that even the act of the cross, what we just participated in just a few minutes ago, where we come and we commune with the Lord, where we take of the bread and we take of the blood, it's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. That Christ lived the life that we couldn't live. That Christ died the death that we could not die. That Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. And we remember that because he served us. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, points to this this king, this, this suffering servant that would take our place. That would take away the stain of sin. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. And that was the mark of a servant on the cross. That even at the cross, he served the world. That the life of Jesus, that the life of the disciples was marked by serving. There is no way that we can get around the mark of a disciple without being known as those who serve. That we're called to serve this world. The gospel, the gospel message, if you read the gospels, all four accounts, if you read anything in, the, anything in this book, it's about service. That the, the gospel, it's an invitation to come and die. Come and die to yourself. Come and die to what, what you think is best for your life and let God be Lord of your life. Die to, we have, and just, just naturally inclined to say, we want people to serve us. We want to be top down. And the gospel turns it all upside down and says that those that are great will be the first to serve. That the kingdom is turned upside down. That the kingdom of God says that the greatest will serve. The first will be last and the last will be first. The greatest joy, friends, that I look back and even preparing this, I think, man, there are plenty of places where I did not want to serve. There are plenty of places where I was pushed out of my comfort zone to serve. And I think about those relationships that I made in that time. I think about seeing the things that the Lord did in my life. I think about, man, had I not shown up for that one Saturday morning, what if I wouldn't have went to that Tuesday clinic and just didn't feel like I was doing anything and I was just handing, passing out medicine or hanging out and praying for people and I look back and there's just key moments in my life where God got a hold of my heart and those were pivotal moments for my life. And I want you to know, This wasn't uh, a fall kickoff, let's get people excited to volunteer and serve. I was sharing this message a couple weeks ago uh, across the street at Canby Bible College. And I was sharing on and teaching about the marks of a disciple uh, in the New Testament. And it was during that time where Pastor Ron said, hey, would you mind sharing this with the church? So this wasn't some premeditated, let's get everybody rallied up and serve uh, for the fall. No, but it's fitting. I do believe it's fitting. And if you, some parents in here, if you, you know, anybody past the the age where you have a little bit of sanity in your life, where you don't have kids punching you and you you don't have, you have a clean car because your kids don't have goldfish everywhere, just go over, go to kids ministry and serve so that young families can come here and flourish, so that this this is about an hour and a half where a lot of young families come for sanity. Like, 
Jesus, wash over me, wash over me, because i got to go back here soon. I get it. Go serve. There's a lot of positions over there that, that need filled. There's fifth graders over there. There's sixth graders over there that need you. I don't know. I don't really have much to give. Well, yeah, you do. You can give a high five, and you can give a Jesus loves you, and you can stay focused on the cross, and you can read a story, and you serve the greater good of our our church. If you're young, and you're one of those parents, and you're like, I don't want to be around kids. I come here to not be around kids. (laughs) Go out. Greet somebody. Go park cars. Go make a latte. Do something. Serve one another. The greatest joy when I've looked back, like I said, I've loved to serve. The Lord has taught me the most through serving. There are three marks of a disciple. Again, I want you to walk away with something measurable where we can look at our lives and go, are we following Christ? Do we worship? Are we serving? Go serve in the community. Go serve at a soup kitchen. Go, it doesn't necessarily have to be here. Serve. The three marks of a disciple. To follow, to worship, and to serve. And in closing, as we think about this, before anything else, before you're a mom, before your dad, before your brother, before your sister, before you're uh, a manager at work, before you are a supervisor, before you're a CEO, a CFO, before you're accountant, any other title. You are first and foremost, from beginning to end, your disciple. Heaven will not be filled with Baptists. There won't be any Presbyterians. There won't be any Methodists, and there won't be any Foursquare people. It'll just be a sea of disciples. It will be a sea of disciples that sit before the throne room of God and just worship Him. We are before and after everything else, disciples. You don't outgrow this. It's not something that you once did. You know, when I was young, I used to be a disciple, and I just kind of outgrown it. And uh, now I just go around discipling people. No, we stay in that constant place of being discipled. We don't outgrow it. Just like the gospel. The gospel isn't something that we once received. The gospel is something that we continually need. Every day, Mark Smith, Ashley Smith, Pastor Ron, Annette, we all need the gospel every day. It's not something that happened to us. It's something that's happening to us. We don't outgrow this. There will be a fight for our souls. There will be a fight for us as we follow Jesus. There will be a fight for us to take the road that's wide and it flows fast and it leads to death. There will be a fight for us to grab that disciple, that person. What I mean by disciple, I'm making somebody make Jesus Lord of their life. To, To take that person and say, stay on the narrow road. The narrow road with resistance, but it leads to life. There will be a fight for us, friends, to make Jesus King, Lord of our life. He alone is who we worship. There will be a million things that want to be an idol. There are a million things in your life that will want to take the place of the throne of Jesus. 
And there is nothing, there is no room for anything else but him. And as servants of Christ, let us be marked with with the way in which we serve. May we be marked as followers of worshipers and servants of Jesus. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning grateful and responsive, Lord, that you have called us, that everyone in this room that you've called unto you, Lord, that you have called to a lost world, that you've called for us to go and to serve this world. Jesus, I pray that you would be with us that as we follow you, as we take steps of obedience to follow you, Jesus, would you guide our, our paths? Whether that be step out and to start this new business, whether to follow you and stay in this business that doesn't seem to be working, but you called us to it. To step out of our corporate jobs and, and, uh, and to go into ministry. To step out of ministry and go back into a corporate world. Wherever it is that you're leading us, Lord. Will we say that we trust you, we will follow you, we'll be obedient unto you. Jesus, and for the, the many things in our day that fight for, for being Lord of our life, would we say, Jesus, you alone are Lord. You alone, Jesus, are Lord. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with my family here in Canby. Thank you for the blessing of this church. I pray that this church would have a bigger impact in its future uh, to the town of Canby than it's had in its past. God, let us continue to be marked by those who love you, Jesus, sons and daughters, disciples of you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.